Amen. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, uh, for praying for me. And thank you so many of you that have prayed for me this week. I know uh, when the bulletin went out, I believe on Friday through the electronic version, many of you saw that I was preaching and many of you have reached out and said you were praying for me. And I know many of you have prayed for me, even if you didn't reach out. So thank you for that this morning. I greatly appreciate it. I made a joke with Brother Jeff this week before he left that sometimes I thought I was envious of him and all the things that he gets to do. And now I think I realize I'm not at all envious and I'm glad I don't have to do everything that he has to do. So... We're grateful that they are on the mission trip. Continue to pray for them, but we look forward to their return as well this week. Uh, so my name again is Gus. I work with our college students here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. If you don't mind, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. And while you're flipping there, I'm just going to give you a little bit of backstory here. Uh, so Paul has been talking to Timothy up to this point. Um, about what a good worker looks like, about being strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. He's talked about there's hard times coming. He's talked about there are people who are going to be wearing masks. Basically, they're going to be lying and deceiving. They're going to look like believers in Jesus, but they're not going to be living the life. They're not going to be walking the walk, and they are coming in to destroy. And he has said that there are trials, tribulations, tests, if you want to say, that are coming, and we have to be prepared for that. And we have to be prepared for that by sticking firmly to what we've already learned and firmly believed. And so Paul is talking about salvation there. So this passage is talking directly to believers. He's not only talking to Timothy, but he's talking to believers in Jesus. But if that's not you, I hope you'll hold on this morning. Don't go to sleep this morning. Hopefully there is something from the Word of God this morning that will pull upon your heart, tug you closer to salvation, maybe bring some questions to your mind that you have been wrestling with. And we as a church staff, lovely... Uh, members in the congregation, we would all love to have a conversation with you this morning about Jesus. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, please hang on and hopefully you will get something out of this as well. Um, but as we get ready to look at our text this morning, it, Paul is talking about the importance of scripture in our lives. And so I titled the message, I tried to come up with something pithy like Brother Jeff does, but I'm not as talented as he is, but open book test, right? So we've all had tests in our lives and we'll talk more about those later. But my favorite test is an open book test because the answers are all right there. Now, I still have to know how to find them, and I still have to do the work and learn them, but the answers are all right there. So let's hope that we can look at life this morning as an open book test. So let's read together from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, Paul has pointed out here, again, that Scripture, all of Scripture, every Scripture, the totality of Scripture is inspired by God. So therefore, it carries authority. It carries weight on our lives from the authority of God. If I say something, it doesn't carry near the weight as somebody who's higher up on the totem pole as me, right? So I can walk around Parkway Baptist Church and demand a lot of things. Usually a lot of stuff doesn't get done. Brother Jeff can walk around Parkway Baptist Church and ask a lot of things because he's much nicer than I am. He asks a lot of things and things get done. Why? Because he carries more authority here than I do. But how much greater is the authority of God in our lives that when he speaks, when he tells us something, we should carry that authority through and allow it to change our lives. So this morning, I love the way Paul has pointed out that it's all profitable. It's all there for us. It's there for teaching, for training, it's to show us how to walk through our daily lives. It's there to show us what we need to do. There to show others, to train them and teach them about salvation. It's there for the gospel. 
It's there for reproof to show us where we have gone wrong, where we have made an error, where we have gone astray. And then the backside of that is correction to help us go back to where we need to be. So you see both sides of the coin. It's there to show us what to do. It's there to show us where we went wrong. It's there to show us how to get back to where we need to be. And then finally, it's there for training in all righteousness, for how to live the godly life that we're called to live. The word of God is sufficient for all of those things. But I especially love verse 17. And I'm going to give you how the NET, the New English Translation, shows it. That the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So that word there, the man of God, that's looking at all people who are believers in Jesus. So it's that the person is dedicated to God, dedicated to the word of God, shall be capable and equipped for every good work. Now, I'm sure I can come up with a long list of things that I would love for you to describe me as. Most of them probably not good, but capable and equipped would be high on that list. If I come to you and say you're capable and equipped, that is a, a, a great compliment, right? The person dedicated to God is capable and equipped for every good work because of the Holy Spirit's work through the Word of God. So as I've said before, I, I work with college students now. I worked with teenagers before that in youth ministry, and tests are a big deal in that area of your life, right? May even still be a large area in your life today. You may have tests at work. You, we, we've all been through tests. And we know that those tests bring anxiety. They bring many sleepless nights. They bring trying to cram information all at once. That's not the good way to do it, right? But we've all taken a test. But really and truly, those tests are there for what reason? Not to try and bring us down, not to hold us back, but to show us what we know, to show us how prepared we are for the situations at hand. And we should use those tests to see, maybe I don't know as much as I think I do, or maybe I'm not as ready as I think I am. They should be an opportunity for us to check where we are. The same thing is true in the test of life, the trials of life. What does James say? James says we should consider it joy when we come upon these trials. In fact, he says, consider it nothing but joy when we fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you may be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. That's James 1, 2 through 4. The point of the tests are to show us where we need to grow stronger in our endurance, produce that endurance, and to help us grow more like Christ. But many of us look towards the test of life, the trials of life, and we just instantly dread them. And I am there with you. I understand that. But we have to start looking at it from a biblical approach of their moments in our lives so that we and those believers around us in community, as we should be living, can see where we are. We can evaluate how close we are to Christ, and it can give us the reproof and correction we need to get back closer to Christ if we need to. That's the point of the test. I don't think most teachers or professors do a good job of explaining that. We make it seem like the test is just there to show you how big of a failure you are. Or maybe that's just me because I didn't do as well in school as I probably should have. But the test is there to show me I don't know everything that I need to know. And to be prepared for this in life, I need to learn more. I need to read more and I need to do better. But I will tell you one of my favorite things that one a professor told me was an open book test, right? We've already talked about that, how it's just a sense of relief that all the answers are going to be there. And generally, I tended to slack off when it was an open book test, right? Because I just assumed, well, the answers are all in the textbook. So it's there in front of me. I know what's going to be on the test. I can just look it up later, right? Now, where is the flaw in that? I think many of us know, and especially now, so I'm doing my seminary classes online, so everything is generally open book, but the way the professor really tests if I know something is there's a time limit on that test, right? 
I don't have all day to go through my textbook and find every answer. I still have to be familiar with what the topics are in the moment. Now, I can go back and find particular things, but I still have to be familiar with it. Many of us treat the test of life the same way we treat an open book test. We think, oh, well, all the answers are just there in Scripture, and when I need them, I'll turn to them, and it's fine. And Have you all ever been in a trial or a temptation or a test? I don't know about you, but for the majority of the time, I don't have time to go get my copy of God's Word off my bookshelf somewhere, start flipping through it, or even Google, better than that. Google's my friend, right? Or Jesus Google, if you've been in the seminary world, you've got Logos or something like that, to look through and find a Scripture, and then I start reading. By that point in time, the temptation, the struggle has generally already overpowered us and pulled us into whatever we didn't need to be into. An unfamiliarity with God's word is dangerous for the believer. We tend to listen to the world around us. We tend to listen to everything that is going on around us that is not the truth of God's word, especially when it makes us question what is the truth of God's word. And if we don't know what's there, it's so easy for us to get dragged off into that. Think about all the way back in Genesis 3, the fall. What was Satan's temptation there? Did God really say? It was a doubt of the word of God. It's doubting what God said. And it was so easy for him to pull Adam and Eve astray. The same thing is true with us because for the majority of Christian believers, we don't know what the word of God says. We especially don't know what the whole of God's word says. We tend to get so busy, we let life go all around us and we don't treat the word of God as important as we should and we definitely don't read it and put it to our lives and apply it to our lives in the way that we should. So as we go throughout the Christian walk, we cannot just respond willy-nilly to things that happen to us. We can't just be all reactive. We have to prepare, we have to discipline ourselves in the word of God. So many of you have heard of the spiritual disciplines. That's what we're going through with our college students on Wednesday nights. And it's basically preparing us for how to live the Christian life. And the first one of those was Bible intake. We spent two weeks on Bible intake because that's how important it is. Most books that you read about spiritual disciplines, Scripture itself, all of these things put a great importance on the Word of God. And from that Bible intake out is an outpouring of prayer, of meditation on Scripture, walking the life like we're supposed to live, and an outpouring of that is worship, evangelism, journaling, thankfulness. All of these things come from a life that is rooted in the Word of God. But we have tried to live the life separated from the power that is the Word of God. And I hope today we will come look at this passage that probably many of us have seen before. It's probably on a mug at your house. It's probably on something. I will look at it with a renewed vision this morning of how we need to make the Word of God important. And we cannot let all the other things around us take precedence over that. So I just have a few tips and tricks for you this morning. These are not anything that I just magically came up myself. Uh, these have been given from seminary professors. They've been given in lots of books that you read about Bible reading. All of this. So I, I'm taking all that information and trying to condense it down and give it to you as best I can. But a good example here is of living separated um, I'm probably talking to the men in the room, but ladies, bear with me. Um, when I get busy trying to put something together, the number one thing that I don't do because I don't have time is read the directions. Um, you can ask my wife. She's here somewhere. Um, I don't ever read the directions because I think I've got it. And then what should have taken me, taken me like 10 minutes, took me like four hours because I did it wrong four times, messed something up, had to go back to the store. And then I decided to read the directions, and I did it wrong the whole time, and then I can easily put it back together. The same thing is true with our lives, right? When we separate it from the Word of God, 
we tend to waste double the time. We don't do what God has called us to do. And in the majority of the times we mess up so badly, we have to spend double the time going back and rebuilding those relationships, rebuilding those friendships, rebuilding trust, asking for forgiveness, all of these things that we have to go back and do. Whereas if we would have been prepared and disciplined in the first place, we could have reacted in the right way. Now, does that mean a life lived in God's word is going to make us absolutely perfect Christians today? No. But I think it will help us be ever quicker to ask for the correction, ask for the reproof, ask for forgiveness, and get back into the right areas of life. So I have now done what most of the big C church, so that's all of the church, has done, which has told you that God's word is important. You should read God's word. You should read God's word. You should read God's word. And we generally just stop there. Now, Parkway has done a good job of trying to give you tools and equip you. We try to do 100 days of Bible reading. You have a church staff and a pastor who is very, very into spending a life in the word of God. I don't know how Brother Jeff reads like 18 chapters a day. I don't know. I'm not that good. However, we do our best to try and equip in the best we can to spend a daily life in God's word. And we try to model that as best as possible. There are days when I fall short. There are weeks when I fall short. And I tell the college students all the time, they know probably before I know how I have not spent time in God's word because I get short, I get shrill. They can just tell that I am not the person that I should be. But I think we have done such a bad job of giving practical insights on how to read your Bible. And I think that is part of the job of living in community I don't think I would have ever known how to really read my Bible well until I had some men in this church who took me aside in college and said, hey, we just got to get this right, and took time to show me what they did on a morning study of their Bible. They took time and poured into me so I could see it. And I think we've just done a bad job of disconnecting that. And so I challenge you as the college minister to find a college student who is your same gender and see if you can disciple them. So many of our college students are hungry and eager for somebody to just talk to them about the things of life, to walk through it with them and give them some advice and give them godly biblical advice. And so many of you have that. And I hope that you will take the time and do that. Many of you are part of our adopt a student program where you've adopted these college students into your family, into your life. Thank you so much for that. They get so much out of that. And if we can just take it one step further with our discipleship of these young people, because I can tell you I am a product of that and I know that it works. And they are hungry, they're eager for that. They just need somebody to show them. And as much as I would love to show all of them, I can only be in one place at one time. So having some help in that is an amazing thing. But just a few tips that I have for you. There are three things here, like any good Baptist sermon should be. I have three uh, points. Uh, But the first one of that is time. And now all of you are probably looking at me like, of course, you need time. But think about the importance of time in our lives. I've already talked about how busy we get. I know I get busy. What is the first thing that we tend to cut out when we're busy? That 30 minutes, that hour, or whatever we set aside in the morning for a time of prayer and time with God's word. Why is that the first thing that we cut? If that's the source of our power, that's the source of our instruction of how to walk through our daily life, that shouldn't be the thing that I cut first. If I'm trying to build something, which I'm not very good at, but if I'm trying to build something and I have all of my power tools and I'm running behind, the first thing I'm not going to do is take all the batteries off my power tools. Why? Because now I have to work harder using a screwdriver instead of a drill. Or my saw just doesn't work. I have to try and cut something with a handsaw. We cannot disconnect from the battery that is our power. 
We have to make sure that that is the first and foremost thing. There are so many great theologians that I would hope to be like one day, and even one of my mentors in seminary, who hopefully y'all have an opportunity to hear from in November, spends like four hours in the morning in prayer and scripture reading time. I'm like, how in the world do you have time for that? He's like, how in the world do you not have time for it? It's like, what? It's not the response I was expecting, right? Spending our time with the Father in the morning is crucial to us living a life that shows and glorifies God throughout the day. And now many people will argue that I'm not a morning person. I'm not either. I'm fueled by Jesus and caffeine. Like, it's okay. Like, I get it. But it, by doing it in the morning and setting that time aside in the morning, I think it helps us because we get to do it before all the distractions and all the trials and the hardships of the day have hit us. It helps us set the tone for the day. And also, it's so much harder to just cut it because I've got so much other things going on in the moment because generally when I wake up in the morning, there's not a whole lot else going on other than me trying to find a coffee cup. So doing it in the morning and setting that time aside in the morning, I think, is, is a good tip. It gets us there before all the busyness of life. But also just setting aside a dedicated, consistent time. I don't know many of you uh, probably have schedules, probably have things on your phone that help run your life because you can't remember things like I can. But when things are consistent, like Wednesday nights, I know what I'm doing every Wednesday night from 5.30 to about 8 o'clock. I'm hanging out with college students here at Parkway. I don't have to remember that. It's just there. Something that we do every single day helps us remember that. Now, I have been guilty of it. All of my college students have heard me say it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to say, but the minimum number of times you must interact with something in a week for it to influence your life, studies have shown, is four times a week. Now, there are seven days in a week. Four is less than seven. I get that. However, have you ever tried to, like, stop drinking Cokes or stop drinking or stop eating a dessert, something like that? Have you ever tried to just do it sporadically? Like, ah, I'm not going to have a dessert today. Yeah. yeah, but then tomorrow I'm going to eat three little Debbie cakes. Like, it's just, there's no consistency there. But if I know that, hey, I'm not drinking anything other than water and I've cut it all out completely, there is no question in my mind when I go up to get my drink at the restaurant what I'm having. I'm having water. I don't have to stand there and debate it. I don't have to stand there and think about it. Like, I have already said it, and it is consistent. Same thing with your Bible reading time. If we can set a consistent time aside, after about two weeks, your body will just start naturally waking up. You'll be ready to go. You'll know where you're going. You will have formed that habit in your life. We have to set aside the time, and it has to be consistent. So I hope you'll take that first step of time and carve out some time in your life. And again, I steal this from many other great theologians. We don't have time not to. We don't have time not to spend time with the Father every day because it is impossible for us to walk the Christian life without it. The second kind of tip I have here is, is a plan, right? I have been guilty of it when I was much younger, I promise. Just the, I'm going to throw my Bible down on the table and wherever it opens to is what I'm going to read today. I can tell you firsthand that is not beneficial and helpful. Like, yes, all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for approval, for correction, for training in righteousness. But just having snippets out of context and all over the place is not helpful for us to build our knowledge of Scripture, right? I would never try to do that with my college textbook. I could never learn biology or, or calculus by just opening up to a random page every day. Right? It's not helpful. 
So having a plan of how to read, having something that goes through books at a time, and keeping notes on what you have read is so, so, so important, especially if our goal is to read the totality of Scripture. Now, many of you said, man, you probably have a Bible like mine, this large print, because I'm blind, and it's large. And you think, man, there's no way I'll ever read this, especially if you're like me and you don't like to read that much. But so much of our time is built on things and used on things that don't necessarily have an eternal impact, I think we can carve enough time to read the Bible. I think it's like 15 minutes a day and you can read the Bible in a year. Something just as simple as that. And now that's not for everybody. Somebody like me, I can't read chapters and chapters at a time. My, my brain cannot process that fast. But there is no reason why we should not be able to read the totality of Scripture as believers in Jesus. We spend so much time watching television. We spend so much time watching sporting events. I love Auburn football. I do. But sometimes we put more faith in Auburn football than we do the scripture of Jesus Christ. And one of those has let me down a lot. <laughs> Just saying. I'll let y'all figure out which one it is. But we have to treat scripture like it's important. And we cannot just treat it like I'm flipping through the morning newspaper. We have to have a plan. That plan also should have some scripture memory involved because like I talked about earlier with an open book test, if the question is up and I have like two minutes per question, I can't go search the whole book to find the answer. When trials come, when temptations come, you can't expect to have time to go knock the dust off your Bible and find the answer. How did Jesus combat Satan and his temptations in the wilderness? With scripture. And yes, I know that he is the son of God and he knows scripture but I think it's expected that we too should memorize scripture so that it's there. It's like having an air, a bow and arrow with no arrows in your quiver. I can't fight back. I have nothing to use against the enemy. So we have to have that scripture there. There are tons and tons and tons of instances of people who are trying to share the gospel and they have read scripture and the Holy Spirit be able to call that back to their mind to be able to answer questions to help talk through somebody and share the gospel with someone because they have spent time reading it and memorizing the Word of God. So I think it's important for us. Again, there are so many tools out there for Bible reading plans, for Bible memory plans. There's really no excuse why we don't do it. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. I even have these cool little bracelets that I bought that have like the first letter of every word. And there's four of them. I got a month's pack worth of them. I'm on like three months of owning them, and I've got three of them. So that's one a month. That's not nearly as good as it should be, but I'm working on it. If that's not something that's a part of your daily life, and I know for so many of you it probably is, I pray that you would take time and build a plan to memorize Scripture and to read Scripture each and every day. And by interacting with God's Word every day, it will become easier and easier to memorize something. When I first had to memorize my multiplication tables, I thought it was the largest task I have ever had to do. But most of us in this room, if I call out some random math multiplication question, you can probably call it off. Why? Because you spent that year in class going over them over and over and over again. And now they're just in the back of your mind. They're second nature. We have to treat God's word the same way. We have to treat it as an importance. And we have to plan. We have to have a time. And we have to have a plan of how to read and how to memorize God's word. Again, having a working knowledge of God's word gives us a filter for all the things around us in our lives. In our young students today, in our college students and young adults, one of the most prominent things 
is self-worth, self-image, anxieties, depression, all of these things. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I'm now taking multiple biblical counseling classes at Southwestern. I am by no means an expert. But the people who are say that yes, there are people who need true counseling, true medication, true like help. I get that. But there's so much of our baseline, just general anxiety and depression that we have about just all the things of life that the word of God speaks to. And I think it's there to tell us, do not be afraid so many times because God knows. He's the author and creator of all things around us and he is holding everything together with a thought in his mind is what scripture tells us. I think our lack of biblical knowledge leads to so much of that uncertainty and unknowing and anxiety because we don't have the truth to fall back on and to stand on. You're standing on a wobbly foundation that's not the truth, the firm truth of, of God. So again, I'm not telling you that the word of God is going to fix all of your problems, but I think it'll truly help us move forward. It could be the missing link in whatever you're doing to help you get past those moments of anxiety and depression. Now, that's not saying it's going to do away with it forever, but I really think it helps. And I think the reason we don't think it helps is because we don't have a high view of God's word. We don't have a high view of scripture and how authoritative it is in our lives. Because otherwise we would read, do not fear, and think, man, I really don't need to be afraid of this. Which is infuriating to my wife. I am not a budgeter. Now, I know I need to be because of God's word, okay? I know that. My wife is. She loves to budget money. That's, and she's good at it, and I'm so thankful that God gave me her for that. But there are so many times when I'm just like, it's going to be okay. God's going to work it out. You know, all these things. And I get that that is sometimes infuriating to other people. And I'm not telling you to go to everybody who's ever had an anxious moment and tell them, just read God's word. Okay? Yes, that is a true answer, but it's not necessarily helpful in the moment, right? Come alongside them. Show them in God's word how they can stand on the truth of God's word and help them understand and read and learn more about what God's word says. I think, again, we as a church are so quick to say, read your Bible, but not so much quick to stop and help somebody do it, especially new believers, those who are coming into the church that have never done it before. So instead of just coming up with the pithy answer of, oh, well, God's word says don't fear, take time, show them, work through that situation with them, walk through that situation with them and do all we can to help them have a time and a plan as well. So we've got time, we've got plan, and I had to have a third point because all things have to have a third point, right? And I struggle with how to word this, so I hope you all will bear with me. The last tip is to, to trust it, to trust God's word and actually apply it to our lives. I think all too often we read God's word or we hear God's word preached, and then we go out and we just live like we want to anyway. We completely disobey it. We don't trust what it says because, oh, those are just rules. Try not to have any fun. God wants to limit all my fun, all these things. But there's a pretty cool study, uh, like a Bible study, and uh, Bobby does it with our youth ministry. I know I've been a part of it as well. It's called guardrails. And it's basically looking at how Scripture puts guardrails in our lives. Now, I've driven on some windy pathways, one of which was in Puerto Rico this past uh, May, and I can tell you that I never was driving along there and thought, man, if I could just get really close to that guardrail and that 75-foot drop, I'd be a lot happier. 
Never have you thought that about a guardrail, right? You've never thought in your car, man, if I could just like shave the paint off the side of my car with this guardrail, I'd be good to go, right? Never. But that's how we treat the word of God. God says, flee from all of these temptations and immoralities. And our response is, let's see how close I can get to it. Like, I'm not touching you, you know? Everybody have a sibling, you know what I'm talking about? We, we cannot live that way. We have to trust God's word that he means good for us. He wants to guard us and protect us from these things. And we have to allow the scripture to shape our lives when we read it. The whole idea behind it being authoritative that we talked about earlier is it has the authority of God to speak into our lives. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, the scripture has the authority to change our lives. We should allow it to do so. It's there to show us where we've made errors, the reproof. It's also there to help us correct and get back on track where we need to be. And it's there to train us in all righteousness so that we can be capable and equipped for the task ahead of us. My prayer for all of us today is that we would truly believe that God's word is powerful, profitable, and useful, and allow it to change our lives and apply it to our lives in the best way possible. We have to stop being so caught up in the things of the world that we don't listen to the truth of God's word. We cannot continue to call ourselves Christian believers and not listen to what God has to say in his word. Never would I read the directions, if I actually took the time to do so, on how to bake something. Like, I love to bake, I love to cook. Never would I read the directions and then completely do them wrong and then look at what comes out and like, get mad at the cake because it's not its fault. I didn't do it right to begin with. But yet again, that's how we treat the word of God. We read what it says, we do the opposite, and then we cry out to God going, why did you abandon me? Why did you get me into this mess? We didn't listen to the word of God in the first place. And to quote a judge who gave me a speeding ticket, ignorance of the law is no excuse. <laughs> just because I didn't know what the speed limit was, and I tried to claim there wasn't a sign, just because I didn't see it, didn't mean the speed limit didn't exist. So as believers in Jesus, God's word is given to us. We live in a country that is freely open. We can have a copy of God's word at your house. You probably have multiple of them at your house. You can go to Walmart, you can go to Hobby Lobby, you can go to any store right now and buy a copy of God's word. There is no excuse for us to not have read it, to not to know what it says and not to apply it to our lives. You've all been given the book. We have to prepare for the test of life. We have to take the time and we just cannot wait until we get to the questions, we get to the trial, and then we try to find the answer. Like, yes, God's word is useful for all of those things. And when you come on to something that you do not know, yes, you should search the scriptures hard for the answers, and you should find good biblical community around you that knows God's word to help you find the answers. But we can't just sit back and be reactive. We have to prepare. We have to discipline ourselves to do it. It's called a spiritual discipline because you have to discipline yourself to do it. It's not something that's going to come easy. And never have I met anyone who didn't plan, didn't have a time, and didn't apply God's word to their life, who just magically woke up and started living perfect. Or every day they just decided to wake up early and now I'm just going to read God's word because I had nothing else to do. I've never heard that before. So if we're not planning, it's not going to happen. So I hope today that I have encouraged you. I know that so much of it has been trying to just hammer in that the word of God is important because it's statistically 
We don't treat it that way. But also I hope that I've given you lots of tips and helpful hints to just start your own time with God's word. Many of you probably have one that is much stronger than mine and I look forward to learning more about those things. I look forward to you teaching more of the younger generation about those things. But if we don't, we have to start now. We have to know what God's word says and we have to spend time in it each and every day. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for an opportunity to open your word today. Thank you so much for an opportunity to have your word read, to hear your word, God, and we know that it is profitable for all of our lives. Give each and every one of us this morning a hunger and an eagerness to spend more time in your word, to learn what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Show us how to walk the life and apply it to our lives in the best way possible. In everything that we do, help us to be a glorifying image to your name. 